What's up, guys? Welcome back to another brand new episode of Listen to Me Speak. We are on season two, episode 25. And like I say every week, thank you to those of you who tuned in to last week's episode. Whether you listened, shared it on your social media, shared it with a friend, I appreciate it always. And July 15th, which is this Thursday, marks the one-year anniversary of me starting this podcast. I can't believe it's been a year. Time has been flying. Time has just been weird in this pandemic in general, but time has definitely flown by. It doesn't feel like it's going to be a year already. But again, I want to thank my parents, my family, especially because they've been my support system throughout all of my life, but especially during this podcast when I've had to deal with technical difficulties, when episodes didn't come out the way I wanted to. They've always supported, they always share the episodes on their social medias. Their Facebooks have probably looked like promotional pages, kind of like how my Facebook page looks too. So I really, really appreciate the love and support and I dedicate this episode because I'm gonna consider this my one year anniversary episode. I dedicate it to my parents, to my Nana, and to all of my family that supports this podcast consistently. I appreciate you guys so much. I love you. I wouldn't be able to do this without you. I wouldn't be here without you guys. So I really, really appreciate it. And let's get right into this episode, shall we? So I'm going to start it off by talking about Drake. I feel like that's all I've been talking about at least once every podcast episode because it's always something with this man. But he recently said on his OVO Sound Radio, I think they call it Sound 42, he said that he's heading back to Toronto to mix Certified Lover Boy, and usually, for those of you who may not know, though I'm sure you do at this point, um, mixing is one of the last stages of any album. Usually when you're mixing an album, it's ready to go, you have the track listing done, all that's left to do after that is master it and submit it for publishing. So he claims that that's what he's heading to Toronto to do. He is back in Toronto at this point. He posted an Instagram um, story where he seems to be mixing the album. I'm pretty sure the whole point of him posting the photo is to say, hey guys, see, I, I wasn't lying. I really am mixing the album. I feel like this album has been in the mixing stages off and on since last year. Because last July, I remember, I don't remember which producer of his that said this. Maybe it was OVO, Noel, 40 doesn't tend to really interact with fans like that. I think at that point he was like, oh yeah, the album is like 90% done. So really, me, along with many other Drake fans, I'm sure, have trust issues when it comes to him because this album was supposed to be out at several different dates and has suffered from numerous delays. According to academics, and I take what he says with a grain of salt because he's been wrong most times when it comes to Drake in this album, but he claims that Drake has been playing Certified Lover Boy for the industry elites. And let me tell you why I have a hard time believing that. Number one, by... Drake's own account, this is from what he said himself, he doesn't really tend to, he's really protective when it comes to his music and he doesn't trust a lot of people. So I really have a hard time believing that he's allowing industry elites, as academics say. I don't believe that he's allowing them to hear the music because he's very sensitive about his music and he trusts only certain people's opinions. I really can't see Drake going on his rounds and, and playing this album for um, other people in the industry. And considering that the album is not quite finished yet, it's in the mixing stages, I really doubt someone like Drake, who's a perfectionist, is going to allow other people outside of his tight-knit group 
to hear a rough draft of this album. There are several versions of this album that exist. I'm sure other people like Joe Budden and like other industry people, he's just the first person I could think of off of the top of my head. I'm pretty sure they've heard songs from old versions of Certified Lover Boy, but I really have a hard time believing that Drake is just traveling around and playing this album for certain people, like for the people in the industry. I, I really think that outside of Drake's like tight knit group of friends, and his team, I don't think anybody else has heard this album yet. So I don't really believe academics when he says that. It really depends on, because he claims that one of um, the top people in the industry who has kind of been like a Drake hater, apparently he heard this album. I, I'm guessing that this person may have been Charlemagne because he's the only person I could think of recently who's kind of been on the whole Drake is falling off bandwagon. He claims that the person who told him that Drake has been playing this album for the people in the industry, he played it for him and that this album is going to be Drake's best and um, it's going to be a classic and it's a great album and he takes back everything he said negatively about Drake in the past. The only person who fits that is Charlemagne and I really have a hard time believing that Drake played a rough version of this album for Charlemagne and academics I feel like just talks a lot of shit. Do I believe that Drake tells academics little things? Of course. But I think when it comes to bigger things like an album, I really have a hard time believing he's going to be divulging a lot of secrets about this album to academics or to really anybody outside of his team. I do think that we are in a better space with this album now that it's in its mixing stages. And, and like I said last week, him and Future were caught on set filming a music video. So I do believe, if nothing else, we'll get a single from Drake this month. I'll be very, very shocked if we get an album this month. I'm thinking sometime in August is more likely because we only have, what, how many weeks left in July? Let me look. We have a little over two weeks left in July and Drake seems to want to still do a rollout for this album. I don't know why, but he seems to want to. So if he does actually do a rollout with the with a big single and a music video and all of that, I really can't see this album coming out until August. And if it's in the mixing stages, August makes sense. It doesn't make sense to hold this album off for any more time. We'll see. Like I said, for me personally, I know a lot of Drake fans just because they're so thirsty for an album that any little news like this is exciting for them and then they get hyped up. For me, I feel like so many people but Drake have been announcing this album and, and when it's releasing. And I remember when someone from his team said, hey, if it didn't come from one of us, don't believe it. And that's kind of what I've been going with. Like if it's not coming from Drake or anybody in his camp, I don't really trust a lot of these other sources claiming that his album is coming out. Once we actually get a release date and a cover art of the album and the track list, then I'll probably be a little bit more excited. But until then, it's just rumors to me, honestly. And the longer that this album takes to come out, the more hype it's gonna build. And I thought Drake learned his lesson when he did this with views, but evidently not. I just hope for my sake and for the other fans' sake that this album is good and that it was worth waiting for. Because if it's not, I'm gonna have to get behind this mic and be real honest. That's all I have to say about the Drake and the Certified Lover Boy situation. It'll come out when it comes out at this point, whatever. So moving on from Drake... I gotta talk about my girl Normani because there are rumors surrounding her and her upcoming release as well. She may be dropping something soon. Someone pointed out that she wiped her Instagram completely clean except for the snippet that she posted, I believe, early this year, February, March, somewhere along that time. She like 
she hadn't been on social media like that and then she finally came back and she posted a snippet of an Aaliyah, a song that samples Aaliyah and of course it sounded good and we were all excited and then nothing came from it that's kind of what she usually does she'll get us excited by you know dropping some music and then she never drops anything but i think she did an interview maybe a couple of months ago saying that her album was done and ready to go and so it seems like maybe this single is going to be the lead single and we'll finally get um, Normani's debut album. For me, at this point, I kind of feel about Normani how I feel about this Drake album. Until we get a solid release date for this album, until we get an album cover, a real track list, I'm really not getting my hopes up because Normani has dropped what we thought were lead singles in the past and followed it up with absolutely nothing. I mean, Motivation was the perfect opportunity for her to lead into her debut album and nothing came of that and that was 2019. I don't believe we've gotten any music since Motivation, at least not solo music. So at this point, if she really is dropping a single soon, the album really has to come this summer. Like there's just, she can't go another year without releasing this debut album. And at this point, calling it a debut is just ridiculous because it's been so long, it feels like. There are rumors that Cardi B might be featured on this album, which I think is really likely. They have like a good industry friendship, it seems like. Um, I think Normani was featured in the WAP music video by Cardi's, I think, decision. And so they're both fans of each other. So I really won't be surprised if um, Cardi ends up on this album. I do think Nicki was probably on an older version of this album because they seem to have a good industry friendship going on too. But, you know, Normani's debut album has probably gone through multiple changes and directions. So I really don't know if Nicki will still be on the album, but I definitely think that it's a strong possibility that Cardi will be. Like I said, I'm still looking forward to hearing what Normani puts out for her debut because I'm rooting for her. I've been a fan of her since her Fifth Harmony days, so I just really want her and her team to get their shit together and finally give us this album that we've been waiting for for so long. Speaking of albums though, Pop Smoke's new album title was revealed this, this week, I think, or maybe the end of last week. Either way, the title is going to be called Faith. I don't know what the real direction is for this album or how they came up with the title. The album cover was released as well and it, it I don't know if it was photoshopped on or if he actually has a tattoo on his face that said Faith. Like I said last week, you guys already know how I feel about this Pop Smoke album coming out so soon after he released his debut. I do really think that they should have waited a longer time in between dropping music. I'm pretty sure Pop Smoke has a lot of unrecorded music. It doesn't mean that it all needs to be out to the world. And I really feel like they should respect him, I, you know, because he's gone. So he doesn't have any control over this, but kind of respect him in the sense that they're not putting all of his music out for the world just to put it out. And also give his fans something to look forward to because there's nothing worse than like losing one of your favorite artists like that because... When an artist dies, you're never gonna get new music from them again. Any music that you get from that point forward is going to be old, unreleased music, and you'll never know if they really wanted that music to be out. And that's like one of the worst things about losing an artist you really connect with and that you love because you'll never get essentially new music from them again. And so when you have an artist like Pop Smoke that re recorded a lot of music, that made a lot of music while they were alive, you kind of want to give their fans something to look forward to every once in a while. So by doing that, you hold off the music for a little bit. Like you let five or six years go by and then you release something and 
the fans who love that artist who's no longer here has something to be excited about because yeah, we'll never get actively new music from this artist anymore, but we'll have the excitement of getting something we haven't heard from from them before, if that makes sense. I hope I'm articulating myself well because that's how I feel about Mac Miller. I love the way his estate is handling things. You know, they are only releasing music they know Mac would have wanted to put out and they're only allowing artists that they know Mac really had a relationship with to put songs out like that song with division and Ty Dolla Sign like he had a really good relationship with Ty Dolla Sign so everybody knows that when that song came out Mac would have approved he would have been okay with that song coming out it's not the song wasn't put out by artists that are just milking his death or or chasing clout you know so I really love the way that Mac Miller's estate has been handling things. I think the last album they intend to ever put out was the album we got last year, Circles, because that was an album he actually actively worked on. And then the producer that he worked on with just kind of put the finishing touches on it because he knew what Mac wanted. And that's why the album came out so well. So I do kind of wish that Pop Smoke's estate kind of handled or starts to in the future handle this better instead of kind of just milking his death and just putting out a whole bunch of music just for the sake of doing so. Because yeah, this album will probably do well, much like his debut did well, but I, I really think they should have they should have held off from putting this out for a little while. So her debut album has been out now for a couple of weeks and she already announced that she's working on a reggae album. And though this may sound random, she has dabbled in that genre before. She's dabbled in Afrobeats as well. And in my review of her album, I did say that back of my mind was kind of missing this because I feel like in between 2019 and 2020, she was releasing a lot of singles. And I felt like a lot of the criticism that her faced from me and from other people is, hey, she kind of doesn't try anything new. She doesn't experiment well enough. But in some of these singles that she was releasing in that time period, she was. And I feel like that was missing in back of my mind. So I'm actually here for her putting out a reggae album because it's going to force her to think outside of the box. It's going to force her to be more creative. It's going to force her to work with different artists. Because again, that song that she has with Skip Marley, Slow Down, one of my favorite releases of 2019. It's really, really good. She sounded right at home on the record. So... I'm interested to hear how a reggae album is going to sound from her, and it's going to be a shame that her reggae album may come out before Rihanna's does, but I'm looking forward to it. I hope that she was receptive to some of the criticism um, that people had of her Back of My Mind album, and she goes in a different direction for this reggae album, but the fact that she's even putting out a reggae album tells me that she's heading in a, in a different uh, creative direction, so I'll be looking forward to that. It probably won't come out anytime soon considering Back of My Mind just came out so maybe in a couple of years and if you know I don't mind when an artist takes time on an album I know you're probably like well you're you keep um, harassing Drake to put out his album the difference between that is that Drake has been promising this album and giving us release dates and not following through but when an artist just says hey I'm working on this album and they just leave it at that they don't give us a release date they just tell us that they're working on something take your time with your album because I don't want you to rush an album and then it's garbage. That's why a lot of people who are like, oh, we want Rihanna to really, really drop. It's like, yes, it's been frustrating waiting for her to drop, especially because she keeps teasing. But I also don't want her to put out an album if her heart's not in it. And it doesn't seem like she's in a music space right now. It seems like she's enjoying, you know, her relationships. She's enjoying the makeup stuff, the lingerie line that she's doing. She seems to be 
you know, kind of transitioning away from music. And so this album that she gives us, it might be the last one, who knows. But I don't want a Rihanna album if her heart's not in it because the album might be garbage if, it, if her heart's not in it. So as far as I'm concerned, she can keep taking her time and when the album comes out, hopefully it's good. Continuing on with album news, Halsey's fourth album, which is titled If I Can't Have Love, I Want Power, which I absolutely love that title. And I love the album cover because the album cover features, I believe, her baby, because I don't know if she had a son or a daughter or even if that really actually was her baby. It could have just been like um, like a, I don't want to say a model baby, but you know what I mean. It could have been someone else's baby just used for the sake of the album because I think she's still pregnant, so that might be the case. Anyway, her boob is out, her nipples out, and she's kind of like, what's what's the way I want to say this? There are a lot of people who tend to criticize um, mothers for breastfeeding their children in public. And so the album cover is kind of like a fuck you to people who have that criticism and, and paired with the title, If I Can't Have Love, I Want Power. It's kind of like in that album cover, she's taking her power back and saying, I can do what I want. And, you know, feeding my child is the most natural thing in the world. So I really love the title. I really love um, the album cover. And she announced that it will be released on August 27th. And today I haven't checked it out yet, but she released a trailer and announced that like a movie would accompany the album. And, you know, Beyonce, I, well, I, I can't really credit Beyonce fully because I really feel like Janet Jackson and Michael Jackson were kind of the blueprints of kind of creating movies along with their albums and creating all these visuals along with the albums to listen to i think beyonce took it to new heights and so i love when artists do that because it just shows that they have this insanely vivid vision for their albums and it's always just really cool to see like music come to life in that way so i think the trailer is like maybe two minutes two to four minutes i can't remember and i'm assuming that this movie is going to drop the same day as the album and her rollout has been extremely creative. And sometimes, for me, I like some of Halsey's music. I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan, more of a casual listener. I don't think I've really fully listened. I think, no, that's a lie. I have listened to like a full album from her. I think the last album she dropped, I listened to in full and I liked about four or five songs. But sometimes a really creative rollout will catch my attention and cause me to listen to an album, which is what rollouts are for, by the way. And so with this rollout, it's really capturing my attention. Like I said, I love the title. I love the album cover. So I may tune in again to another Halsey album and listen to it in full and see what I think. I don't believe she's released a lead single for it yet. I don't think so. But I anticipate that it's probably dropping sometime this month if her album is dropping next month. So I will be tuned in and give a review of what I think of her new album. So on to some of the new releases from last week, I wanted to get into Young Blue's single first. He's got a new collab with Big Sean called Way More Close, which was created by accident when Big Sean walked into the wrong session by mistake, which I think is hilarious. I think sometimes the best songs are created unintentionally. And that story, I, I thought that story was hilarious because he, apparently he had his own session in the studio and I guess he walked into the room thinking that that was, this, that was his session and, and Young Blue was probably in the middle of recording this record. This song has a similar vibe to his other song, Your Mind Still. The song itself is a cool, moody vibe, but I think Sean has the standout verse on this track. I think anytime he gets on heartbreak types of songs like these, he's always in his bag. 
and he's got a lot of standout lines in his verse. I think that's also why his featured run from like 2016 to 2017 was my favorite of his because he was hopping on a lot of records like these and he was just kind of spilling his mind and just like it was like a lot of the content that he created on Dark Sky Paradise was spilling out into some of these features and he was just really hungry at that time and obviously we know shortly after that he kind of was going through his own demons and his own issues so his passion for the music kind of dwindled for a little bit and I feel like you know even after he kind of got back in the game with Detroit 2 a lot of his features lately have been hit or miss and maybe I can't help but compare his featured run from that time to now. And obviously he's a different rapper, he's a different person, so you're not gonna get the same thing twice. Magic doesn't strike twice. But I'm like, there's something missing in, in, in some of his featured verses. And I think songs like Way More Close and even his feature on Bryson Tiller's song, Still Yours, kinda had that passion that he used to have when he'd get on features or just even when he would create his own music, you know, these songs kind of recapture that, and I think that's why his verse on Way More Close and his verse on Still Yours really stuck out to me for that reason. It's like, oh, this is kind of what was missing in some of his featured verses. It was that passion, and he really brought it on here, and I'm, I'm glad he didn't let me down with this featured verse. My favorite lines from this song is, quote, I only burn bridges to the places that I never should have been to begin with. This is about the, I think this is like the second or third song Young Blue has released. He does have an album coming out soon. I want to say the end of this month, which makes sense for why he's been dropping all this music. I do think that Young Blue is talented. I like some of his songs. I do hope that his album features a little bit, um, what's the way I want to say this? I do hope his album is a little bit more diverse because like I mentioned, some of these songs kind of sound alike and, and they work sometimes, but I don't want to hear an album full of songs like this. So hopefully he steps out of his comfort zone a little bit on this album. Because I, I think this is his debut album. I think um, what he released last year was just a mixtape. But, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to tell these days whether it's an album or a mixtape. But I kind of think this is his debut, so I do hope that he switches it up. So last week I talked about... Nicki Minaj's urgent announcement. I was all excited. I was thinking, oh, we're going to get some details on her new HBO Max documentary. We're going to get a, you know, some kind of album related news, even if it wasn't exactly a new song. But she ended up really making me mad because this urgent announcement was just to tell us that she has, uh, she was hopping on Bia's Whole lot of Money remix, which by the way, was not really a surprise because the remix had leaked earlier that day. So I hadn't heard it at the time because I was busy. I was hanging out with my family, but a lot of people on Twitter had already heard the song. So I'm pretty sure they were even more annoyed because they had already known about the existence of the song. But I was tight because she was like, oh, I have this really urgent announcement. Like she just kept typing it up only for it to be a subpar remix with Bia. And I knew I was the only one that was annoyed because a lot of other people were like, man, we stayed up for this. Like we, first of all, she was late like she always is. There were so many um, technical difficulties with her DJ. And then she was doing this bullshit interview with Wayne talking about things we really, really didn't care about. And then towards like the last 20 minutes, she brings Bia into the live and, and she goes, oh, we have a remix dropping tonight. And they're talking about how the song came together, which is about the way it always does when she collaborates with, with um, 
other female rappers. And I was just annoyed. And I was texting my friend because she wanted to watch the live, but she was busy, so she couldn't. And I'm like, just be glad that you didn't waste time watching this live because it truly was a waste of time. The song itself is all right. I don't think it was good enough to center a whole announcement or an Instagram live on. The beat is pretty basic and the hook is mind-numbing and annoying. I do like the refrain and the back and forth between Bia and Nikki in the last verse. I thought that was dope. I also love the callback to Itty Bitty Piggy in Nikki's verse when she starts her verse over. Overall, I think I've heard better verses from Bia in the past. It's not like I'm a huge, huge fan of hers, but her verse on... What's that Russ record? Um, Best of... The, oh my god, it's gonna drive me crazy because I really ran this song back to back when it came out. Best on Earth, that's the name of the song. Her verse on Best on Earth was fire. I liked her verse on um, the song she had with Kiana Lede on her album. But the song itself, pretty basic. I, th I think it's um the song that went viral on TikTok because I know she's got a song that, that's viral on there. Either way, this all that hype that Nicki created for this remix unnecessary and maybe I'm just bitter because I was tight because we were all misled and she was trolling and maybe that's why I'm really not connecting with the song either because it's it's kind of like okay someone hypes up something and then they finally give it to you and it's really not it it, it really doesn't meet the hype that the person was giving it that's kind of how I feel maybe the song will grow on me but I really can't see myself returning to it my favorite lines are quote I put on my jewelry just to go to the bodega and I keep it with me just so that I'm feeling safer. Fendi on my body, but my feet is in Bottega. Bitch, I'm getting money. Give a fuck about a hater. And that's the refrain I was talking about. That's probably the only part of the song I really like. The hook is just annoying. I can't get into it. The beat is just... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't see myself... I can't really see it growing on me even once I get past the, the annoyance of Nikki's trolling. And honestly, if Nicki wants to go on another mini hiatus until it's time to drop the album, I really don't mind it because the trolling, like, I'd rather her be on a hiatus than troll like that, to be honest. Moving on from Bia and Nicki Minaj, Logic released another new song from what might be Bobby Tarantino 3, but based off of how the other projects in this series sound, this song is a little different from the norm, but I do like it. The song is called Get Up, and it's got more of an acoustic and melodic element to it than what's usual for Logic, but it does work. It did have to grow on me, though, but it did take very long before it did. It, it just threw me because it's a little bit different than what he usually does, but it grew on me pretty quickly. It, it kind of sounds like some of the music he made on his Supermarket soundtrack, and for me, that soundtrack was like... I listened to it once and I didn't really return to any songs from it again except for maybe two of them because it was more experimental. It was because um, he wrote the soundtrack for his book from the same title. It was a book he wrote called Supermarket and he wrote this. He created a soundtrack so you can listen to it along with the book and it was very different. It was more inspired by rock and different genres that Logic doesn't usually tap into and I don't think he pulled it off very well and you can kind of hear that influence on some of some of that music on get up but it actually works here because it still sounds like something logic would do and i also think it's a good song to drive around to at night so it's definitely going to end up making my summer playlist probably russ also dropped another weekly song this one is called nothing i won't do russ makes a wide variety of music with different sounds but i definitely lean towards more of the love songs and the heartbreak songs from him because those tend to be my favorites i'm noticing 
And this track is no different as it's a love song. I don't know the sample he used, but he's got a great ear for samples and places them in his beats very well. I also like the fact that he doesn't always go with the he doesn't always go with the mainstream popular sample that everybody else uses. He kind of finds his own unique ones. And, you know, I if there's one thing I always say when it comes to production and samples is that I hate when producers tend to go with the same ones. Like right now, it seems to be SWV samples, like, and they're not even using them to their full potential. They're kind of just allowing, they're kind of like what I said about Hitmaker. He's just making a glorified remix, really, of the song. But Logic is finding really unique samples that I haven't really heard before, and he's placing them well into his songs. And sometimes he takes um, the sample's lead where he's not exactly copying the sample verbatim, but he's kind of blending it with his own sound and creating something new. I hope that made sense. My favorite lines from Nothing I Won't Do are, quote, When we getting ready to go out, I will not rush you. I'll just fuck you from behind while you're applying mascara. Aaliyah on the speakers, throw it back to that era. Moving on from Russ, I also want to talk about Kyle Dion's new single, which is called Placebo, which features Ja Rule. When Kyle announced this track on Twitter, I was super excited for him because he scored a collab with Ja Rule as an independent artist, which is a huge deal. The song itself is a good summer record. I love the beat because it's unique and doesn't sound like anything that's out, which makes Kyle such a refreshing artist to listen to because he always does his own thing. Placebo is a perfect fit for Ja Rule, and I see why Kyle wanted him on the song. It sounds like something he would have done back in the day. Now, I don't know if this track samples a Ja Rule song, but if it does, it wouldn't be a shock because, like I said, it sounds something like it sounds like something he would do. So it would make sense. I go I go on Genius in these like sample websites to always like see if a song uses a sample and it doesn't say anything for this track. So it may just be an original and the producer or Kyle himself could have made it, you know, with Ja Rule in mind. Like they could have been inspired by him and then they were like, oh, let's just see if we can get him on it. That could have been the case here. But either way, the song is super dope. Moving on from Kyle, Baz also released a new song called The Jackie, which features J. Cole and Lil TJ. The beat and the hook is the most appealing part of the song, and I wouldn't be surprised if this song ends up sparking some challenges on TikTok. It's very danceable. Baz, J. Cole, and Lil TJ take more of a melodic approach on the Jackie, which is something that both Baz and Lil TJ are good at, and it works again on the song. Now, I typically don't love when Cole does it, but I don't mind it so much on the Jackie. He mostly does the hook, and he has a part towards the end of the song, like a short verse. Um, but he mainly does the hook and it works. So there were a lot of singles that were released last week, more singles than albums. And so the last single that I wanted to get into from last week is Post Malone's new song, Motley Crue. To be honest, Post has made better songs than this. Motley Crue sounds half-assed to me, like there was no effort put into it and not in a good way. The hook is very lazy and his tone sounds weird and the way he's singing certain words is kind of annoying. It's like one of those things where you'd actually have to listen to the song yourself so you can understand what I'm saying. If, if I could describe it, it would be best described as he sounds extremely whiny and nasally on this record. Like there's some kind of weird filter on his voice. I don't like it. I think the beat is the only highlight of the song. For me, Post Malone is very hit or miss. When it comes to his albums, I always like maybe a good half of them, never a full album from him, especially with um, his first two albums. There seemed to be like a lot of filler music 
on it with Hollywood's Bleeding there was less I think there were less tracks on the album so it was kind of more of a healthy balance and Hollywood's Bleeding is probably if I had to pick my favorite offering from Post Malone this song is probably going to be like one of those when his album actually comes out it'll be one of those songs that I skip over that I don't really care for or look back at to me Post Malone has always kind of been a kind of like a basic artist he doesn't really have to try super hard and 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 his music still sells I think Hollywood is bleeding is probably the album I like the most from him because it was kind of like he even though the, some of the music was typical post there were moments on that album where you could tell he was trying to try something different and do something different I think that's why Circles was so successful for him because it was something way different than what you would have expected from Post Malone a couple of years ago but Motley Crue was kind of more of the same basic shit from Post. It is what it is. I'm pretty sure this upcoming album, it probably won't blow my mind if I'm being honest. So that pretty much wraps up my reviews of the singles from last week. But you know I had to get into an album. And that album, of course, is Temporary Highs in the Violet Skies by Snow Allegra. She was really one of the only artists to release an album last week. I'm sure she wasn't the only one, but she was the only artist that I was really checking for like that. I really expected to, I really expected for July to be busier than it's been, but I don't know what's going on. I don't know what people are waiting for. I don't know if this year is going to be a little bit more different from the norm and more people are going to want to drop fourth quarter because it's going to lead towards the end of the year. And by 2022, a lot of artists are going to actually start touring. So I don't know if more artists are, are waiting for the fourth quarter to drop for that reason. But this summer has been a little slower than I thought it was going to be. But anyway, I want to get into the Snow album because I've been looking forward to discussing this album because I really, really love it. So first of all, I think this album is proof that Snow Allegra knows who she is musically and isn't afraid to change things up. And despite a few odd critiques that I've seen about the sound of this album on Twitter, I think the production is refreshing because it sounds very different from the production on her last album. It would have been so easy for her to create another version of Ugh, Those Feels Again for her third album, but I'm extremely glad she didn't and it shows that she's not afraid to step outside of her norm, which can't be said for a lot of artists these days. I was afraid we'd get a whole bunch of the same types of songs that we got on the last album, and I was actually expecting that. But from the title alone, we have a clear-cut theme and the music helps tell the story. So from what I get from the album, and again, this is just me, but I kind of think this might be what a lot of people get from it as well. I think this album is about a person chasing a high in a relationship that you know is doomed from the start, but the high is such a good feeling that you stick around anyway, even though you know it's temporary. There are certain songs on this album that represent staying in that high in the relationship with songs like Taste and Just Like That. And then there are songs that represent the actual reality, songs like Tangerine Dream and We Don't Have to Talk About It. And what I like about this album is even though there are those two stages, you also have songs on the album that kind of, they acknowledge that, hey, this isn't gonna last, this isn't really reality. And we know that, but also this is a really good feeling right now. So I kind of want to soak up this feeling and stay in this feeling as long as I can before the relationship ends. And I... I think that's one of the most appealing things about this album and even her discography as a whole. Snow really creates these cinematic types of movies with these really engaging stories that really keep you interested while you're listening to this album. And this album is really no different except the stories just changed a little bit. 
And that's what I like too, because Snow clearly kind of has a vibe about her. She's the artist that you go to when you're going through a heartbreak or you're really in love because she tells both of those stories so well. But I feel like on her third album, she was kind of able to combine all of those elements into one album. You can hear a lot of Michael Jackson's and Janet Jackson's influence throughout the album, specifically in her tone and some of her vocal choices. I think she's got a beautiful but strong voice, and it reminds me of MJ and Janet's singing voices as well. They have these really soft-spoken speaking voices, and their their singing voices are also um, kind of soft, but they also, even if they don't have like a Whitney Houston type of range, they do have a good range and they know how to utilize it and also not everybody can pull off some of their songs some of those high notes that janet and and mj hit not everybody can do that so i really feel like they have like really strong control over their voice and even though snow has i think she has a little bit more of a wider range in her vocal in her vocal ability she also has that element of okay she's kind of like a soft singer but she has really good vocal control and she knows what her voice can do and it just reminds me of michael and janet's voices she was also her own vocal producer on this album and the way she stacked her vocals and her background vocals was absolutely beautiful and it shows she knows the full range of her voice like i said and she knows what she can do with her voice because she made choices in both her vocal production and her beat selection that really highlight her vocals a lot of this album was also clearly inspired by 80s music which is common these days and again you have to give credit to the weekend and doja because they really i feel like their albums were really the are really the standard for the 2020s. They're really gonna be the standard going forward because people realize how successful um, The Weeknd, and I hope I said Dua and not Doja. If I said Doja, I slipped up. But I really feel like um, Future Nostalgia and After Hours are gonna be the standard for the 2020s because people are seeing how successful those albums were with that you know 80s inspired pop music. So I really feel like we're gonna see that bleed into more and more people's albums. And this is no different. And you can hear the influence of 80s music on this album, mainly due to the synths in the production. And some of the beats just seem to sparkle and shine. And that reminded me of the 80s too. Like they, 80s music really has this kind of like, I don't even know how to describe it other than like it has the shine to it. Oh, Those Feels Again was extremely melancholy. And even though you still get some of that on this album, Temporary Highs in the Violet Skies has a happier or more upbeat undertone to it even if it is temporary and this allows Snow to try something different which she took advantage of on this album and it really worked out well for her. The top tracks from this album are In Your Eyes, Just Like That, Tangerine Dream, Violet Skies, and On My Mind. And of course I had to give honorable mentions because it was so hard cracking down a top five because this album is so good top to bottom. I don't think I've loved an album top to bottom like this this year except for maybe Cole's The Off Season. So a couple honorable mentions that didn't make the cut are Dying For Your Love, which ended up making um, my best songs of 2020 list last year, and also Neon Peach, which features Tyler, the creator. He's featured twice on this album and both songs are really, really good. So the first song I want to talk about for my top five is In Your Eyes. This track is the first time Snow steps out of her comfort zone and tries something different, and it works. I feel like I keep saying, and it works. Maybe that should be the title of this episode. <laughs> so In Your Eyes is produced by the Neptunes, and they provide their futuristic sound to Snow, and I really love this beat. 
I can hear MJ's influence on this track, specifically in the way the melody sounds in the chorus and her background vocals too. She kind of almost mimics his tone. And it sounds like something the Jackson 5 would sing too. I also love the background vocals on this. It just really enhances the track, which is what good background vocals are supposed to do. The pre-chorus is also catchy and fun to sing, and I love the nod to Janet Jackson's That's The Way Love Goes, which is probably my all-time favorite Janet Jackson song. My favorite lines from In Your Eyes are, quote, If you seek, you will find what was there the whole time was love in disguise in your eyes. The next song I want to talk about is Just Like That. What catches my attention on this song is the synths and the bright keys in the production especially when it changes before the bridge because the synths are just simmering and it sounds really pretty. She also sounds really angelic on the song. It's almost like her voice is just sliding and gliding all over the song very smoothly. The beat is simple enough and it allows her voice to shine. I also think Alicia Keys would have sounded good on this track too. I know they have a song on her album, but I can hear Alicia on this. I think probably my all-time favorite part of the song is the chorus. The next song I want to talk about is probably my favorite song on the album. It's called Tangerine Dream. This track is just simply stunning. Oh my goodness. The moment I heard it, I was like, yeah, this is going to be my favorite. I fell in love with this song. The production and Snow's vocals are to die for. Tangerine Dream is very movie-like and sounds like it belongs on like a, an actual movie soundtrack. The storytelling in this song also adds to the overall story she's telling throughout the album and the song is very well written and the story is very vivid. My favorite lines are quote, what happens when we arrive? Will you still have your pride? What's the chances of being on the same flight? Because it plays on the temporary high of a relationship theme on this album. You know, she's asking questions like what happens when that high wears off? Will her lover still be there? And she does it in a very poetic way by kind of making it seem like, oh, they're on a plane and they just so happen to be on the same plane. And the plane is kind of like a metaphor. Is that the right way to say it? It's kind of like the plane stands for their relationship. So she's asking, you know, when we leave the plane, when we arrive at our destination, are we still going to be together? AKA when this high of this relationship fades away, are we really still going to be together or or was this just a temporary thing? Because sometimes people get really lost in the honeymoon phase. And then once that fades away, there's you really get to know the person. And then you realize, oh, maybe I don't really like you that much. Or maybe we're not really meant to be. Or this relationship was going to be harder you know, than we thought it was going to be. So I thought this song was, really it was a really poetic way to say all of that. The next song I want to talk about is Violet Skies. I can distinctly hear Lauren Hills and... Even Erica Badu's influence on this track, probably because of the strings and the drums that give the song a hip hop influence or like a hip hop edge. And though she's not rap singing, her verses still have a flow and it reminds me of what Lauren Hill did on her debut solo album. I really love the production on this song as well and I love that Snow always slides some R&B tracks with hip hop edges on her albums. And you can also credit Mary J for that influence as well. She is the queen of hip hop soul for a reason. She was really the first R&B singer to really sing on hip hop types of beats and, and pull it off. So you can always credit Mary for that as well and you really hear kind of like the change in R&B music after Mary J and, and now hearing songs like this, they're more common and even just 
the blend of genres together are more common. You know, you hear pop songs with trap influences in them. You hear pop songs with R&B influences in them. But Mary J was really the start of taking a hip hop beat and singing over it. Like that was just never heard of. And I, to, in my opinion, you may call me biased. I think nobody does it better than Mary. My favorite lines from this track are, quote, my world was all upside down. Wish I knew you'd come around. Wish I knew if you'd say violet skies were right in front of our eyes, I would doubt you. Because this song seems like it's a message towards herself. And that's what makes it stand out because most of this album is about a relationship. But on Violet Sky, she's kind of talking to her past self and saying, you know, I wish I could have warned you about what was coming and that not everything in this life is. And when I say in this life, I mean fame. Not everything in fame is what it's cracked up to be. And I, I wish I was I, I wish I could have went back in time and warned you about that. I also like, quote, I've always been a worrier, but I'll always be a warrior. The last song I want to talk about on this album is On My Mind, which features James Fauntleroy. This song is more of new age R&B or neo soul. And it's another great example of how good Snow's pen is. She's just spitting in her verses and she has a way of writing songs that perfectly articulate how a lot of us feel. Throughout this album, the songs feel poetic, and this song is no different. I think that's why her albums tend to sound really cinematic, because her writing is so vivid, it actually feels like you're watching a movie, and this is just the soundtrack to it. I also love the production, which Leon Thomas is always good for. He really deserves more of his flowers, because he's insanely talented. And the way he crafts background vocals is just heavenly. Adding James Fauntleroy is a nice little touch at the end as well. My favorite lines from this song are, quote, I know I'm out, but somehow I'm still in it. Just know I feel a way because I know you still feel it. And in my mind, it ain't over, though it's over. Again, this plays more on the whole. I know that this is reality, but I'd rather live in this kind of fantasy that I've created with my partner. Snow is one of the few out of my favorite artists this year who truly delivered on her album. I went into this album with low expectations, I think because I've been so unimpressed with a lot of the releases this year. And I went into this album thinking it was gonna be more of the same of her last album, which was a really good album. It's the album that made me a fan. And it would have been so easy for her to do that. So I kind of went in with low expectations and she really exceeded mine. And I really, really love this album. Like I've been playing it nonstop since it came out. And I think that Temporary Highs in the Violet Skies proves that she can dip into a little more of a mainstream sound, all while still tailoring it to her own identity and her own sound. The production is fresh and different, and the storytelling is as top tier as it always is with Snow. Temporary Highs in the Violet Skies will not only be one of the best R&B albums of the year, but one of the best bodies of work of 2021, period. Moving on from music, I wanted to get into the Bold Type series finale. The Bold Type has been a show I've been watching since I want to say I was a freshman in college. It started airing after Pretty Little Liars ended, so it was kind of like I was looking for something else to watch on that channel and I kept seeing it being promoted and it related a lot to my real life. You have these three women, these young adults, you know, trying to figure out their careers and their love life and, and just trying to gain experience. But what really stuck out to me and what I related to the most was the career aspect of it because yes, I'm a young woman trying to get my foot in the door into my you know respective industry, but they were three women working at a magazine. 
And I really liked that their careers were in the broadcasting field because I feel like there are not a lot of TV shows like that where you have young people trying to make it work in a very competitive field. And so they each were working in the magazine, but in kind of different departments. Kat was, I think, the social media coordinator. Um, Jane was the writer and Sutton was like in fashion. And it was all for the same magazine. And I really related to Kat. She, not only because she was a black woman, but a lot of our passions were the same. A lot of our interests um, in the broadcasting field were the same. So I really connected with her character and I really enjoyed watching the show because I feel like it showed an, an accurate description of what it's like, or not a description, an accurate depiction of what it's like being in that field and being a woman and some of the challenges that these characters faced in their careers because they're women or because of certain circumstances. So this show was really important for me because I feel like it taught me some things. Like, I think we're all naive to certain aspects of the world when we're young and I'm still young. And I feel like this show really kind of gave me an idea of kind of some of the things I may face once I actually get my foot in the door and, and, and even just gave me some ideas of what I want to do in my career and just gave me the motivation to keep pursuing what I want to do in life even though I'm facing some of these hurdles so I really enjoyed the bold type and I really was sad to see it go. I do love the way it ended and everyone had a nice send-off that made sense. Kat ended up taking over for Jacqueline for the editor-in-chief position I believe that's yeah, the editor-in-chief position, I believe that's what the title is. And I feel like even though it made sense for Kat to be the editor-in-chief, and even when Jane ended up denying the role, I'm like, well, yeah, it makes sense for Kat to be in a leader position because she's a natural-born leader. Jane really isn't, and she kind of proved throughout the season that the stress of being a leader was too much for her. And even though I'm glad Kat ended up taking the position... It felt like Jacqueline only saw Kat as second best. It was very clear that Jane was Jacqueline's favorite and she kind of had tunnel vision when it came to her. And it wasn't until Jane said, you know what, I'm not ready for this role. I don't want to take it. That all of a sudden Jacqueline was like, you know what, Kat would be great for this role. And in theory, it was most likely Jane that actually said, that actually recommended Kat for the position. It probably wasn't um, Jacqueline's decision if it was up to her she probably would have went and hired someone outside of the company um, so that was really nice for Jane to recommend her friend and it shows that Jane has come a long way from the earlier seasons I couldn't stand Jane from throughout most of the show but I do think that was a sweet moment and I do think that Kat deserved the position even though it kind of felt like oh here I'm just tossing it to you because the, my first person didn't want the job anymore Jane ended up realizing that her passion truly is being a writer and like I said she ends up rejecting the position and actually ends the show by leaving Scarlet which is the magazine they work for because she wanted to travel the world and I like that she finally had that realization that she's not a mini Jacqueline and is finally okay with being her own person. I feel like Jane had a lot of identity issues and part of that is because she lost her mom so young from cancer. She had her own cancer scare and I feel like when you have a parent that dies when you're young, part of your identity is kind of left in, what's the, what's the way I want to say this? Part of your identity is a little lost because some of your identity as you're growing up does come from your parents. Oh, you know, I get this from my mom. I get this from my dad. And when you have a parent who's no longer here, you're left wondering, well, do I get this from my mom or is this my own thing? Like, would my mom 
have done this this way or would she have done something different so I feel like Jane had a lot of identity issues and she was just lost trying to find herself trying to learn more about her mom's story and her and her own family history so I actually think that her ending was really nice because she finally had the realization that maybe she doesn't know exactly who she is yet but she knows what she's not and she's finally done trying to kind of be her mom or be Jacqueline she's okay with just being her own best version of herself. Sutton finally began working through some of her demons and issues and even though I think it's a mistake that she and Richard decided to make their marriage work despite him wanting kids and her not wanting them, I was a little happy because they are cute together and they seem to really love each other. I do still think that, you know, if the show were to have continued, Richard would have resented her in the long run because he really wanted kids. He wanted kids so bad that he was willing to leave Sutton because she didn't want to have them. I can't imagine that all of a sudden now his love for her trumps his love for wanting kids. I really feel like that's going to crash and burn. But they are really cute together and it was sad seeing them kind of like almost divorce and, and, and seeing Sutton kind of have a mental breakdown after Richard left her was really sad to see. So the fact that they're back together and happy was it was a cute little moment. It was a cute way to end the show. But realistically, I feel like a marriage like that is not going to last when one person really wants one thing and then tries to compromise. I don't think you compromise when it comes to certain things like kids. You just can't. And even though the writers majorly screwed up Kat and Adina's relationship, I was extremely happy to see them finally get their shit together and work it out because they were my favorite couple on the show and when I think some of the writers had left and maybe the showrunner changed, the tone of the show shifted and some a lot of things started to go wrong towards the second half of the show and you can really feel that loss of those writers and part of the things, part of the dynamics that they ruined were the Kat and Adina relationship. So I was happy to see them want to kind of get back together and try to make it work because you just can't see Kat and Adina with other people. They just make sense together. I do think the ending of the show was a little abrupt. The season only had six episodes. I think they could have at least given the final season 10 episodes and we really probably would have had a less abrupt ending of the show. I didn't want to find out what happened to Sutton's mom now that she relapsed and I also wanted to see more moments between Kat and Adina and how they were willing to make their relationship work but all in all I think the final season of the show ended strong. I think everybody had really nice send-offs and I do hope that we start to see more shows that are centered around this industry because it really was interesting to watch. Moving on from the bold type you know, I had to talk about Love and Hip Hop Atlanta because it came back last week and the drama is back. And like I said, I've been missing Love and Hip Hop. I've been missing the drama. So the moment that I got to watch Love and Hip Hop Atlanta, I took advantage of it right away. I, I think I only, I didn't watch it the day it aired, but I watched it maybe like the day after. And the Safari and Erica Mena drama, we already see it happening in real time. So we obviously know where it's heading. It's heading in divorce. But watching it in real time is going to be... I think wild. Safari's already pissing me off and it's only episode one. I just, we already know this about him, but it's very clear that he's very selfish and he was very naive about the realities of both marriage and having children. And right now, I think Erica Mena and her son are in the hospital. He's in the NICU and he's out partying because his birthday was, I think his birthday's July 4th. And so he was in Jamaica partying. Like, I think that if my child was in the hospital, 
I would, I don't care if it's my birthday. I would be in the hospital making sure that my child is okay. So I think that says all you need to know about Safari and how he is as a husband and um, a parent. And so watching that first episode, I really, Erica's not perfect by any means, but I, my heart really broke for her and their child because you have a person who's clearly not interested in the marriage or being a parent and isn't, is content with letting Erica pretty much take the lead on everything. And he pretty much wants to hop in and out whenever he pleases. I think he came off as extremely insensitive in the episode. He just, you know, Erica was right in front of him nearly in tears and he just did not care. I think for him it was, he liked the chase and he couldn't see past her beauty. Like for him, he seems to be very shallow. For him, it's all about looks and surface things. But the idea of actually committing to someone clearly is a turnoff to him. But I can't wait to see what else goes down in Love and Hip Hop Atlanta because I think this might be one of the better seasons in a long time because Atlanta kind of, there's a couple of seasons where I'm like, you know, the drama's kind of, it's really not as interesting anymore and these storylines aren't as interesting, but I think they have a, an interesting storyline with this upcoming season. It was announced that Robin Givens is joining season three of Batwoman. She'll be playing Ryan's birth mother. And I don't know if I talked about the finale of Batwoman on my podcast yet, but I do think the final episode of that season was really, really good. They finally wrapped up the Kate storyline, which I'm so glad that they're done with that because seeing how, how the characters were kind of giving the new Kate a pass, even though it was so clear to the audience and we could see right through her motives and we could see that she was... Um, manipulating them, I guess is the best way to do it. Watching the characters be so naive about Kate was just so frustrating. It, it kind of seemed like, oh, oh my God, Kate's back. Forget about Ryan, you know? And so that was kind of frustrating to watch over the past couple of episodes before the season finale. So when they finally resolved it and they finally got Kate's mind back to normal and, and things like that and having giving her a proper send off of having her leave Gotham, I was finally um, happy when that happened because I'm like, finally, we can stop with this back and forth. We can stop with the characters acting so stupid and we can finally fully accept Ryan as Batwoman because I feel like as long as Kate was missing and as long as Kate was going through that turmoil, we were never really going to see a full acceptance of Ryan as Batwoman. So for Kate to come out and say, hey, this is your suit now. You're Batwoman. I'm leaving. This isn't for me anymore. That was like a great moment for both Ryan and the audience who's rooting for Ryan because finally it's like, okay, we can have Ryan as Batwoman. We don't have to worry about, oh, Kate's going to take the suit back. None of that. So their characters are finally able to move on. I think that some of Kate's storyline, the way they handled that could have been a little bit better because the whole point of them casting Ryan as the new Batwoman was because Kate was out of the picture. Ruby Rose had left the role. So it really wouldn't have made sense for them to have Kate stick around, but I feel like Kate stuck around a little bit longer than she really needed to for the season. But I get it. They needed to find some way to, to I guess, realistically write Kate out. I realistically can't see Kate leaving Batwoman. Um because she was really passionate about being the hero and saving the city and she put all this time into being Batwoman. So realistically, Kate probably wouldn't have handed the suit off to someone else, but you know, because Ruby Rose left the show, obviously they have to make it look like Kate was okay with, you know, leaving Ryan as Batwoman, but it has been really cool seeing a black woman take up that role. So, you know, things happen for a reason and I feel like 
Ryan as Batwoman has given the show, like, it had made the show more interesting. It, it gave the storylines more edge. So I can't wait to see what season three is looking like. I can't wait to see the storyline with Robin Givens unfold, all of that. So the Emmy nominations have been announced today and WandaVision has scored 23 nominations. Now I was hoping they'd be at least nominated for a couple of awards, but I wasn't expecting 23. But I'm rooting for them to win because WandaVision is one of the best, if not the best, TV show of 2021. Great writing, great directing, everything. Great performances. So I really do hope they sweep that up because they deserve it. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier also received five nominations, one of those belonging to Don Cheadle, which I found hilarious to be honest, considering he was only in one episode for like two seconds. I don't know whose decision that was, because I don't think that Anthony Mackie or Sebastian Stan received individual nominations, which is kind of a slap in the face that Don Cheadle, who was only in the show for a few seconds, got it. Even he seems to be confused about his nomination, but whatever. None of these award shows get it perfect, but I just thought that was hilarious. The Weeknd is also nominated for three Emmys for his Super Bowl halftime performance, and I think the only other artists that have been nominated for an Emmy for their halftime performances were Prince, and I think Bruce Springsteen was the other one, and so I think that was pretty cool that his... I didn't even know you could be nominated for like a Super Bowl halftime performance for the Emmys, but I guess it's TV show related, so it counts. But congratulations um, to all the people I mentioned. Of course, congratulations to everybody who was black who was nominated. I'm always rooting for everybody black. And there were quite a few black actors that were nominated from Journey Smollett to Daniel Kaluuya. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Please forgive me if I screwed it up. But there are a lot of black talent that were nominated, both actors and the people behind the scenes. So I'm rooting for everybody black. And I hope that, you know, they get the awards that they deserve. So before the episode ends, I have to get into the song of the week. And the song of the week is of course, Tangerine Dream by Snow Allegra. I'm sure none of you are surprised that a song from her album ended up being the song of the week. I'm not gonna get into the song again because I already did earlier in the episode, but it's just, if you don't listen to this album, you're missing out. But if you don't listen to this album, at least listen to Tangerine Dream because it is worth your time. It's so good. We have reached the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to me rant and ramble and mess up my words and stutter and, 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 and whatever I did for over an hour this week. I appreciate it. Sometimes I just have those days where I just stumble over my words and it's frustrating, but I'm learning to roll with the punches even though I'm kind of a perfectionist. If you enjoyed this episode, then please give me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can rate podcasts. And if you want to support this podcast further, you can donate to my listener's donation, which can be found on my website, www.listentomespeak.com or on my Anchor page. And you can follow me on all social media from YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. All of those links are found on my website, which again is at www.listentomespeak.com. And like I say every week, be kind to yourselves and thank you for listening to me speak. Thank you.